Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. My good friend Zach Sims is on our show today. We're going to talk about selling software in the education industry. He's the founder and CEO of Codecademy. You all are probably familiar with it. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? So I started Codecademy uh, in 2011 uh, with my co-founder, Ryan. Uh, and Codecademy teaches uh, more than 40 million people around the world the technology skills they need to upgrade their careers. Amazing. What did you do before Codecademy? Nothing? You I was were in, college, in college, so That's I right. dropped out of college to start Codecademy. Um, and maybe catch us up on the growth of the business. I think most people who listen to this podcast will be familiar, but um, just what's going on these days. Uh, we are actually in their new office right now, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. So with Codecademy, when we started, we identified a major gap between education and employment, uh, in particular in the technology sector. And so we started with this fundamental thesis that uh, there would be pretty much every job requiring technology skills and not enough people coming out of educational institutions that had those technology skills. And so when we first started the business, we identified a need that I think at the time a lot of people hadn't seen. Uh, and so the company grew really quickly as a consumer product with tens of millions of people using Codecademy all around the world for free, uh, including a bunch of governments. And then since uh, late 2015, we focused on selling uh, through freemium. We have two products that we sell to consumers. One is called Codecademy Pro is $20 a month. And one is called Codecademy Pro Intensives, which are $200 certificates that we sell uh, that come with eight to 12 weeks of support from our learners. And so we have uh, at this point, many tens of thousands of students enrolled in both of those programs. Uh, and so the company went from, you know, spending the first four years or so of business, uh, totally free to consumer to now, uh, selling two separate products to consumers to generate revenue. And what uh, are most of these consumers, just a point of clarity, these are individuals that are interested in learning to code as an accessory to their current uh, job or are, are these people working for companies? How do, you, how do you sort of think about that definition? What does that look like? So we think code is additive to any job that anybody has. So in particular, things like marketing, where quantitative marketing and understanding data can be super helpful, or things like design, where knowing HTML and CSS, for instance, make you a much more valuable designer who can then kind of split up uh, their designs and code them up. So we think that happens in, in nearly every industry, that an understanding of data and an understanding of code will make you more valuable, uh, and that it actually doesn't take very long to build that knowledge base that can have a major impact on your salary and your ability to do your job and be productive. And that's kind of the gap that we're trying to fill today. Excellent. And last question that we always do on our introduction, what is one thing that no one on this podcast will know about you? Wow. Tough one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, let's see. I dropped out of college, which some people might know, uh, but I did so with only two or three credits l remaining. So hmm. really should have finished probably. Do you, um, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but uh, do you have any ambition of returning and graduating? It's deep. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I think one day would be nice. One uh, day. Unfortunately, okay. right now, we don't know busy. when that day is. That's right. Okay. A little busy right. to go back and take classes now. Perfect. Uh, three credits remaining. Okay. 
Um, all right. So maybe let's just sort of jump into the topic. And I know you, you spoke a little bit about this earlier, but maybe just expand on how, you know, how do you guys sell today? What's that model look like? Um, you know, the, the, this is the startup sales podcast. So people are probably, um, a bit familiar with some of the nomenclature and the terminology. Um, but just how does code Academy sell today? What does that look like? Maybe just expand upon what you had mentioned earlier about the selling process. So we spent the first uh, couple of years of the business really focusing on building a free funnel. And so uh, many hundreds of thousands of people a month at this point sign up for Codecademy and use the product for free. And we think of that as kind of the best set of leads that we could then eventually sell to. These are people that are learning on the product. They are actively signaling their interest. They're learning particular skills. And then we can help them get better at those skills and get even further in their careers with our premium products. And so what generally happens is someone will sign up on the site for free, engage with the product, and realize that some of the premium features we have, whether that's extra content or extra help or a certificate, are things that can help them get that upgrade in their career even faster. And so they make the decision to purchase after seeing uh, ads on the product itself from us to upgrade or an email that reminds them to upgrade on the site. Uh, so we don't do high-touch sales as one would traditionally think of um, in an educational institution. If you look at a lot of for-profit colleges, for instance, that have call centers, for us it's very much low-touch, people using the product, seeing intrinsic value in it, and then paying to upgrade to get where they're going in their career even faster. Just to be clear, you you have no salespeople, right? There I mean, are no right. salespeople that work at Code Academy. Got it. And um, can you unpack a little bit? You know, you're, you you have tens of millions of users on the platform at this point. You said hundreds of thousands using it um, daily. I think you said. How was that your own marketing muscle that grew that? Was it public relations? Was it you know we we're obviously sales and marketing kind of go hand in hand. So curious what that looked like and how how you've grown. Um, do you have marketers? Do you have people who market the product? What does that look like? So we get asked this question a lot. Uh, when we first launched the company in 2011, we became one of the fastest growing Y Combinator companies. We went from you know, putting the site online to within three days, we had more than 200,000 people all around the world use the product. Um, that fortunately or unfortunately wasn't the consequence of really smart launch strategy, <laughs> but I think was the consequence of uh, a really good product. And so when we first launched, we built in a lot of viral loops. We made the product really easy to dive into. So we put the terminal on the homepage, for instance, and that made people really able to dive in and experience the product before sign up. And then we made it really easy to share that with, with friends. And so I think that's really helped grow a uh, general understanding of Codecademy. And then we did a lot of distribution partnerships. Also, we worked with a lot of governments uh, to get our product in K-12. Uh, so governments in the U.S., in the U.K., in Brazil, elsewhere uh, to distribute the product which worked really well, uh, and we've then leveraged that, and, and in the past couple of years, built a marketing team as well to build on top of that. Uh, but I think the best marketing for us has always been the product itself. And w and the marketing team today is is what it's mostly focused on online, offline. What what is what is their what is their role? So the marketing team today uh, focuses on a bunch of different areas. There's product marketing. 
there is uh, acquisition marketing. We have some folks working in content marketing. Uh, and so we, we also think of our curriculum oftentimes, again, as our best marketing right, as well. So right. while that doesn't report into marketing, oftentimes new free content that's added on the site will be additive and help new people discover the site, uh, whether that's through SEO or that's through you know news articles written about new content as well. Excellent. All right. So we've talked a little bit about the selling model. We've talked about marketing, some of your growth. I'm curious, what... What were some things that when you started the company and maybe you guys, you know, you going through Y Combinator and you graduated that, you know, kind of assumptions you might have made that you've kind of proven right or wrong as it relates to the kind of education industry, selling, marketing, what, you know, anything around that in the space. Four years later, whatever, how long? Five years later. And particularly in education, I think, uh, Early on, we, and I think almost every entrepreneur in education I've spoken to, really tends to underestimate the difficulty of getting people to actually learn and focus. Um, I think what that means is sometimes for recurring revenue businesses, for instance, you have a challenge in creating a product that's really sticky when people see it as kind of ancillary to what they're doing. This is Somewhat similar, I think, to gym memberships oftentimes where people want aspirationally to have a six-pack. They want aspirationally to have a much better job uh, in the case of education. But oftentimes making that time uh, in their life is really difficult. And so we've tried to, to really reframe and respin that by making this not just about making more money in your career and learning a new skill, but really about enjoying that process. And I think this is kind of the classic uh, uh, of kind of enterprise 2.0 or whatever, where the products themselves are actually enjoyable to use. Uh, and so in our case, you know, the spin was education traditionally is watching a lecture in a college classroom and then taking a quiz or a test and people moving that online. And for us, we built an experience that was engaging and exciting and fun to use uh, that I think helped us kind of break that pattern. But it's still, I think, one of the biggest challenges for anybody doing education online is getting people to really engage with the product and thinking with a consumer internet hat. Well, so you got, so that sounds like you were proven right in that sense. Like, hey, we don't want to attack this from the traditional standpoint. We need to change our marketing muscle, our product muscle, you know, all that stuff has to be different, right? Well, I think early on when we looked at different business models for the company, we considered doing something where we would help people that are graduating from the program uh, find jobs. And so that obviously is predicated on a large number of people spending, you know, thousands of hours on the product, uh, learning enough in order to graduate. And what we found is that that's really difficult. Uh, and I think if you look at boot camps in person, they have a similar challenge. That's why I think if you look at the general assemblies of the world, the galvanizes of the world, a lot of these boot camps are pivoting to focus much more on enterprise education uh, because getting people even in person to spend three months, you know, nine to five learning is a real challenge. And I think much more so than anybody who doesn't work in the space understands. What's uh, enterprise education meaning like uh, similar curriculum and scope to executive education programs at like business schools and those type of things? Exactly. I think somewhat similar to that in some cases, you know, understanding digital marketing or in some cases, different employees learning to program or learning to interpret data. So they, so they go to corporations and say, Hey, you should, we can create some certification for your employees and come on into 
general assembly or galvanize or whatever. And that's the that's vehicle right. to serve that. Yep. Continuing education for corporations. Got it. Um, okay. Proven right. Where do you think you were proven wrong? Where you just sit back and you're like, wow, we totally didn't anticipate that or this was completely a shocker well i would say that that what we were just talking about was in a sense proven wrong i think oh the interesting okay. original business model was you know when we first thought of the business it was a recruiting business one where you know we would take the graduates that were learning for free help sell them into companies effectively uh, and serve as a hired.com style intermediary where no money would actually be made on the education itself but would only be made on the graduating students and i think you know, again, obviously that isn't the model that we followed explicitly because I think, you know, we've learned how difficult it is to build models based on that. Even if you look at pretty much everyone else in the space, there are a couple of boot camps that can do this in small numbers, but doing a kind of success based, um, you know, fee oriented program for talent is very difficult. Interesting. Then you guys have pretty much moved away from that, right? That's, we focus on uh, the the only mode, the only business model today is predicated on selling education. Yep. Or features that will enhance education. Do you think, and is that just in your, this is more philosophical, but is that more just because of the gym membership style of idea? Like if you give it to people for free, they're still not really going to engage and, and use it. Um, and if they pay, there's potential that they will use it or. I think we've moved much more towards, uh, you know, pricing isn't always just about how much money a company can make. I think it's also a commitment mechanism. Uh, and what we see is that we try to price our products at a point where they're accessible and achievable for the mass audience, but at the same time, they're meaningful enough that the concept of not using it or not working and not learning um, is, you know, not palatable because you're spending so much money on something um, or, you know, enough money for it to matter. Um, so it's it's an interesting challenge. Got it. Um, all right. Maybe to transition to some of the selling models you see in this space. I think there's a couple that we've defined. We have sort of the consumer or the free or the freemium style selling model, um, which obviously works extremely well um, for you guys and for, for other companies. You have the corporate uh, kind of selling model, which is more sort of outbound and more... Uh, you know, what we, we talked about sort of general assembly and galvanize, you have the sort of, uh, schools consistently comes up K through 12, you know, that sort of, uh, could be a mix of inbound, could be a mix of outbound. Um, and then governments, um, we kind of define those four as the selling models for the education industry or the, the ideal customer profiles, perhaps the education industry, any quick thoughts on maybe if we take sort of the consumer and the free piece out, because that's core to your business and you're obviously, very supportive of that. Um, what are your thoughts on entrepreneurs that want to go and sell into corporations, for instance, as a start? And then we could cover sort of schools and governments. Sure. I think figuring out where to sell if you're selling education uh, into corporations is super important. We've done uh, some work with companies that are training their employees, for instance. And even then, there's a question of, you know, who is the buyer? Is the buyer the line manager at a lower level who's trying to imp improve a particular employee's ability or standing? Is the buyer the CTO, for instance, who needs technical training for her or his whole team? 
or you know is the buyer or someone in HR. Uh, and figuring that out uh, oftentimes requires a lot of conversations and nuance. I think somewhat differently from, you know, we're going to sell an email marketing solution and the CMO is the logical buyer. I think it depends on the type of solution that you're selling. Uh, and also it depends on how discretionary the income, uh, sorry, the spend is that you're reliant on. I think sometimes you know, companies are eager to spend on education, the bigger they are. Uh, for smaller companies, understanding how to upskill their employees is perhaps less of uh, a mandate. And so understanding, you know, the who the buyer is and also understanding what size of company uh, has budget for what you're trying to sell is definitely an interesting challenge to scope out uh, before starting an education business if you're selling into companies. Okay. Uh Schools, what do you think of that? K through 12, hard, easy. Um, seems probably pretty tricky, right? I mean, definitely hard. <laughs> uh, I think you know, the, uh, most of the companies that have been successful in K 12 are legacy. So, obviously, Pearson is huge, for instance. Uh, and I think the challenge is getting distribution, oftentimes. You, know, you have to be a part of the curriculum or if you're not a part of the curriculum, it's you know street warfare basically where you're going school to school or superintendent to superintendent to try to get inclusion in a curriculum. And even in those cases, it's another issue of you know where is the budget coming from? Is this a teacher emailing students' parents saying that they really should be paying for this? Is this you know coming from a school budget? Is it coming from a teacher's own budget? Uh, and I think that oftentimes is another challenge uh, for anybody selling into schools. And, and that's why we've seen some novel models. I think if you look at tools like Class Dojo that are trying you know, to be free or remind, trying to be free to uh, students, but make money either selling advanced features for parents uh, or ways that do not involve directly charging for access to software, uh, which is a really tricky model to follow in K-12. So uh, tough, tough ideal customer profile to begin with, and then tough from a budget constraint standpoint. So a lot of these companies are basically going through parents or some other mechanism to gain access, basically. That's right. It's oftentimes while the user might be the kid, the customer is the parent, for I see. Instance, okay. which can be challenging. But some of those businesses have some success, I'm assuming. I think there's a lot of businesses that have scale in terms of usage. Uh, I think then translating that into revenue difficult. sometimes works, but is, is difficult. I think LMSs have had better success in the space. Instructure is an example, right? Yep. Um, but selling know, into... into selling into schools sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think the nature of selling content uh, into schools is really challenging for upstarts. Sure. Um, governments, you've had some experience there without, uh, saying too many positive or negative things, but about your point of view, we've worked with a lot of governments. Uh, it's, it's oftentimes very challenging. Again, it's a question of where is budget coming from, um, or what is budget? Oftentimes governments at the federal level, uh, you know, will make broad policy decisions that are then up to local or municipal governments to follow up on uh, or trickle down through schools or unemployment centers. And so ultimately finding the way to sell into governments is a real, real challenge. 
uh, you know, again, something I think that we hear a lot of people talk about, you know, can't you go to the government of X country and just charge them $20 million to use Codecademy for everyone in their country? Uh, and unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there is no and oftentimes there isn't one decision maker. Like right. The president no isn't going to pass right. that down. The minister of education isn't going to pass that down. Uh, so it, it's much uh, more challenging and oftentimes much more decentralized than one would assume. The, the assumption is also that that would be a logical use of their money, which That's right. is fair. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, so we've covered the sort of categorization of the space, some of the customer types. Um, maybe just uh, perhaps we can sort of wrap up with this, just given we're, we're coming up on about 20 minutes. But um, maybe what, you know, the, the space gets a lot of uh, knocks for sort of successes and failures and, and um, track record and, and all of this kind of stuff. And you, you kind of look at, you mentioned some of the, the LMS vendors, um, folks like Cornerstone On Demand, folks like Skillsoft that have had a, a somewhat sort of legacy product but have, have built obviously huge businesses in these categories. And then you look at um, some of the more recent successes like Linda, um, and then some of those like plural site and and structure that are sort of fast growing and likely to to be successes. But outside of that, you have this kind of huge ecosystem of companies that, I mean, for lack of a better word, haven't really scaled or succeeded. Um, maybe go back to your gym membership idea. Maybe uh, some of that sort of stuff. W- why do you just think that there hasn't been a ton of success in the category outside of these kind of handful of companies? Let's say. You know, I think it's. It's a real paradox uh, in as much as education is one of the largest areas of spend uh, on the planet, right? Similar to healthcare, uh, it's just spent very inefficiently and very rarely is it spent on software. Uh, and I think when it is spent on software, again, that distribution is very difficult. So a lot of the companies that you've talked about, Linda and Pluralsight in particular, you know, both have scaled to hundreds of millions in revenue selling content. Uh, and those companies, you know, took 15 to 20 years to build up to that, you know, hundred plus million dollars in revenue, um, you know, both tremendously successful. Um, and then, you know, selling software into these schools oftentimes is harder, right? I think to you has obviously proven themselves reasonably successful at the college level. Uh, obviously they're a public company, had a lot of success selling platforms and kind of enabling colleges to go online, um, but you know, ultimately, I think it's a challenging industry to get distribution in, uh, and and you, if you're going direct to consumer, are relying on hopefully consumers that are looking out for their own best interest in making a purchase. Uh, but it is an idealistic purchase, I think, in as much as it is something you hope you will dedicate time to, for instance, unless a purchase that is, you know, I think dependent on one of the seven deadly sins, for instance, I think. Reed Hoffman a couple years ago had a really good post about how you know most successful internet companies depend on one of the seven deadly sins, whether it's you know vanity and you want to get more likes, or it's greed, or it's sloth and you're playing games. Uh, and the question for education companies oftentimes is, you know, is there one of the seven sins you're tapping into, uh, or is it idealistic? And how does that change how people think of your product? The seven deadly. I'm gonna have to look that up and include it now. Um, all right, so we've talked about. Codecademy, your growth, the selling model of the business, assumptions around right and wrong, customer types in the space, um, successes, not success, you know, failures. 
any sort of final tricks, tips, thoughts, points of view for, for the listeners um, before we break? I think... Uh, Very wide question. I'm sorry. Well, it's okay. One <laughs> of the things we've learned, you talk about this in customer profile, is just how important it is to be really crisp uh, in as much as who you're selling to. I think for us, we were lucky that early on we had... Uh, Lots and lots of people come to the site, which I think was both a blessing and a curse because there were so many different customer profiles. It was hard to figure out who to sell to and what to sell to them. Uh, and I think starting off with a really crisp idea of who your audience is, it really helps you market the product and sell the product much more efficiently. Excellent. Thank you for coming on to the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for downloading this Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Bowery Capital is a business software-focused venture capital firm specializing in helping our founders build initial revenue traction. For more information, please visit us online at BoweryCap.com blog.